0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to James Cameron's Titanic, scene by scene. I'm Brittany Butler.
1: I'm Ethan Brem,
0: And today we will be talking about Iceberg Right Ahead, which, of course, very important scene in uh, the Titanic world. Like I've said before, probably one of the whole reasons people decided to watch a Titanic movie is everything to do with the sinking, which starts here. Big stuff we're getting into now. I feel like we say that all the time, but this is, like, legit now.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and the movie just constantly is ramping up, too.
0: You know, and like we've said before, we're literally segueing now into an entirely separate feature film, basically, <laughs> from this point out. Yeah. It's like a totally new movie. It is.
1: The conversation that Jack and Rose have right before mm-hmm. it hits it's like okay end of movie number one beginning movie number two
0: <laughs> yep so before we get into the scene and the email that we're going to read I did just have two things that I forgot to mention uh, in some past scenes uh, which I feel like that's going to happen a lot with this movie there's just so much it's just so easy to forget things we get wrapped up in whatever we're talking about and you know you just completely gloss over something that could potentially be really interesting or just you know however big or small but there was just these two things back in the drawing scene when Rose when the show like the close-up of her taking the uh, butterfly comb out of her hair Mm -hmm. the music that's playing like the solo piano is the same solo piano that played at the beginning of the movie when Rose, old Rose, is uh, reunited with her old belongings, including the butterfly comb. Oh, that's cool. Which I didn't notice that until whenever I wrote those notes, I guess, and I forgot to read that part. Yeah, but that really stood out to me now because I was like, uh, we have a few people who have pointed out musical parallels throughout the movie, which are pretty interesting. and You don't really think about them. We've, you know, we've mentioned some musical parallels as well. And yeah, there was just something about that that seemed really interesting. It's just this really soft, like sentimental kind of piano thing going on. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they made a point to play that, you know, before we get to the drawing scene, just Rose being reunited with that belonging and then bringing it back when we see her take it out of her hair. I don't know. It just kind of highlights how symbolic and sentimental that one thing was for her, I guess. Yeah, on top
1: of just the butterfly metaphor. Mm-hmm. In general, yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. That's cool. So then another thing that I forgot to mention in the last scene is actually a deleted scene. So I actually ended up taking a lot of notes about this because it's sort of a big component of what happened uh, with the syncing.
1: Oh, I didn't even know there was a deleted scene there.
0: Yeah, I know. I meant to tell you about it so you could check it out, but I forgot. But you you don't necessarily need to actually see it. So basically, uh, the deleted scene i'm referring to right now is about the californian which was a nearby ship during the time you know titanic hit the iceberg they were pretty much sending the morse code to titanic uh... to warn them of the ice and i think we mentioned this in passing before how i said you know it kind of makes the titanic wireless operators come across as jerks because they wrote back to the californian shut up keep out i'm working cape race which uh, did that really happen
1: that really happened that
0: really happened yes wow and so cape race is this place in newfoundland it's it's like a i don't know the best way to describe it it's kind of like a wireless headquarters where they receive messages and then transmit it to other people so they were sending the stuff to Cape Race And then Cape Race would send it to New York um, So they were Sending a bunch of things Saying like Look at this one He wants his private train to meet him la dee We'll be up all bloody night on this lot And blah 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 Like little requests yeah. for when Titanic docks So stuff like that And they were backlogged with that stuff um, So they were like "Oh, We're going to be up all night working on these and so they're doing all that. And then the Californian beeps in trying to warn them about the ice and they're like, stop it. <laughs> Christ. It's that idiot on the Californian telling to sod off. I'll do more than that. Keep out. Shut up. I'm working. Take race. Arrogant bastard. I try and warn him about the ice and he tells me to shut up and listen to that spark. He must be right on top of us. And apparently the signal from the Californian was super loud because they were that close to them. Wow. And so I guess the wireless operator, uh, Jack Phillips, because the Californian was so close, it was so loud due to their close proximity that it was annoying to him. So he was like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy and so basically the californian wireless operator who was what was his name cyril i think that's how you say his name Mm c-y-r-i-l cyril evans you know he was like okay well forget you buddy i warned you so i'm going to bed so that's what he did he shut down for the night. So that's basically what the deleted scene is. And then wow. they show him go out to go wherever he's heading, uh, to bed or whatever, and they pan out to show a massive ice field, like the Californian is just at a standstill in the middle of an ice field.
1: Why do you think they didn't include it? Was it was it the things I'm thinking of is maybe they didn't want to show another ship and they just wanted it to focus, or Because overall, the people, like, the rest of the crew on the Titanic, they were just, you know, it was a job. They weren't. So maybe James Cameron didn't want to portray them as negative or...
0: Yeah. Well, I remember, again, like I was saying, I've watched, you know, so many documentaries and just interview clips on YouTube and stuff that I forget where I heard all this stuff. But I do remember hearing that some of the historical stuff that they filmed, you know, it was cut simply for pacing and for audience reaction to when they were testing things. Yeah. So I think for stuff like this, when they were testing it with audiences, just for whatever reason, it felt like it was detracting from the kind of movie it already kind of established itself as. Yeah. Like the overall story of Titanic and then Jack and Rose was just... Seemed superfluous, I guess. Oh yeah,
1: that's true too. Because if you, <laughs> yeah, if you're focusing too much on like those details, then yeah, I guess that's true too. But I think it would have been weird to see another ship in general. Mm. Like I think you, because you're so living on this Titanic, to see another ship out there is like. Well, first of all, I think it takes away from the isolation aspect of it, mm. and second of all, it kind of ruins the mood that you have living on the Titanic.
0: I mean, you don't really get to see the Californian that much. You just see their little wireless room and then their deck as they're looking at the ice field. Yeah. Um, but it always did feel a little weird. That deleted scene felt a little weird. I was like, oh, another ship. Yeah, I never really thought about that. And you're right about the isolation aspect, because that's another thing, because it is pretty crazy, when... The Californian decided to shut down for the night. Titanic hit the iceberg like ten or fifteen minutes later. Wow. I agreed as well that the inclusion of that scene might have cast Titanic in more of a bad light, maybe. And then just you know to have them being like, shut up, like you know.
1: Yeah. Well, because before that, like you kind of like the people, the crew members, yeah. other than like um, Ismay and stuff. Everyone else, you're like, oh, these guys are just like it's a job. You're in it with them too. Like they're pe- they're people or souls on this Mm -hmm. ship, as they say, Um, their lives were taken also. So, I mean...
0: Yeah, that, and then it might have come across as maybe a little bit more heavy-handed because we've already kind of established the human error uh, component of Titanic through uh, Ismay and Captain Smith's conversation and then the subtle um, dismissing of the ice warnings kind of that we saw earlier.
1: Here's everything they did wrong.
0: Yeah. It's funny though, right? Because it's like, yeah, this did happen. Like, this is a part of the history. But I feel like when you're telling a movie, it's, yeah, it's almost... It's almost
1: like you can't write this stuff. Exactly. if you you film it, it feels like you're making it up. But Mm -hmm. it's like, no, it's really what happened. Yeah. But sometimes that's what happens. There's been a lot of, like, true stories that they had to take stuff out because it's like, no, people are going to think we just made up something silly Yep. when it actually happened, yeah.
0: I think just the one thing about it... Uh, That I just thought about was, I know like with a lot of the more historical deleted scenes, a lot of people say, you know, like, this should have been included, blah, 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 like, this goes to show that, you know, James Cameron didn't care. And I'm like, okay, but first of all, if James Cameron really didn't care, he wouldn't have even shot that stuff.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't have even been that... He would, when you're writing taking the time to write or direct a movie based off of a historical event like you're investing your time in researching this stuff i you have to research about mm-hmm. this stuff you and then inherently you just become passionate about it like mm-hmm. about the topic whether you want to or not you just become like that it's part of your life for however many years you're on you're working on it so yeah to say especially someone like james cameron who obviously is like now like one of the number one enthusiasts of the Titanic to say that he didn't care like that's just really unfair to say
0: but you know what I mean though it's like if he really didn't like the fact that all of those deleted scenes exist show that you know he was trying to include all that stuff that's just the way it is sometimes but yeah yeah so yeah so that's just I know the Californians like a big topic of conversation when it comes to Titanic so I felt like that was important to mention
1: yeah, that is. I didn't did not know that. That's cool. All
0: right, so before we get into this scene, scene, um, <laughs> we have an email uh, that I'd like to read. And by the way, I was telling you, Ethan, before we started recording. While we've been away this last month, we've received so many emails from you guys messages on instagram like private messages on instagram messages on tumblr just so much feedback and you know other people sharing their titanic stories with us and once again the passion that all of you guys have for titanic as well comes across so clearly in your messages to us and it's so so nice to read so yeah i just wanted to say that and if you did send us an email or a message and i haven't written back or something like that um, just know odds are we have received it and I have read it and you know now we have so many emails to share and read um, in our coming episodes so it's just it's really fun and it's so That's cool. great to hear uh, so this email for today happens to be all about this scene so it's perfect this is from Elizabeth she says Hi guys, the iceberg scene is probably the most important scene in the entire film, because it's what makes Titanic different from any other period romance set on a ship. And I was like, are there a lot of those, though? (laughs) Period romance Uh, set on a ship? An
1: Affair to Remember? Yeah. That's like the biggest one, I think.
0: I know, but that description just (laughs) sounded very uh, specific, but, but anyway. They continue... To me, the music is what sets this scene apart from any of the earlier scenes. The music is quiet for the most part, a background noise to the sounds of the bells and the engines, but it makes the scene. From the way it starts off quiet before soaring as Rose decides to disembark with Jack, only to roll into the telegraphic uh, as the iceberg is spotted and everything becomes a rush to try and save the ship. I love how James Horner chose to use the sounds of a telegraph in the two most important ship scenes, first in leaving port, so during the departure scene, um, and again in Hard to Starboard. In leaving port, the telegraph noise is light and airy and excitement that's bubbling up underneath and it brings a smile to your face, but in Hard to Starboard, the same telegraph noise is rushed, it's panicked, a clear distress call that chills you. The scene and the music work so well together. As the music amps up, the scene is in constant movement, with Murdoch rushing to throw the switches, the wheel being turned all away, the engineers and firemen in the boiler rooms literally running to try and turn the ship in time, only for it to slow and then the music to quiet, and everyone peers forward waiting with bated breath for the ship to turn or hit. And then it hits with the barely noticeable shake of the wheel and the chandelier only for water to come rushing in below decks, and suddenly the firemen are not running to turn the ship, but to save their very lives. And then it goes silent as Tommy and Fabrizio and the other third-class passengers begin to run from the water. Um, The music dies down until it is dead silent as the first-class woman, the Countess, asks, why have the engines stopped? I felt a shudder (laughs) in that that voice. Um, You can hear how silent it is, And the one thing that this movie hasn't really been up until this point is silent. Uh, When you sit there and hear nothing, knowing what's going to happen, it's absolutely terrifying. Sorry for blabbering on so long. This is my second favorite scene in the entire movie because of just how beautifully the music and the scene itself work together. The music builds the scene and the noises in the scene itself build the music. They work in perfect harmony to create an intense scene that grips the breath in your chest and leaves you waiting, peering into the screen, begging the ship to just turn, the same feeling that the lookouts and officers had to have been feeling that night 108 years ago. I love this podcast so much, and even though I've been watching this movie since I was four years old, I am noticing new things each and every time now because of you guys. Thanks for reading, and I can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts on this amazing scene. Yours, Elizabeth.
1: Oh, thanks, Elizabeth.
0: I know. Fun breakdown uh, of that scene. And it's so true. So, so much going on in this scene as they uh, said a lot of that stuff we're going to get into, obviously. So where we left off was the two stewards or, um, you know, just White Star Line employees opening the back seat of the car and saying, Gotcha! <laughs> and Jack and Rose <laughs> are no longer in there. And so now this scene begins with Jack and Rose running out onto the deck just laughing so hard just so high on life after running away from those people jack just saying did you see those guys faces (laughs) just laughing i always wondered that too i was like where are they hiding to see their reaction yeah i always wonder i'm like where are they hiding to see that but okay anyway but yeah so they're laughing and then suddenly it takes such a dramatic turn where Rose starts to take things very seriously And she tells him When the ship docks I'm getting off with you And he says You know this is crazy I
1: love this moment Yeah I
0: think you said that before You said this was like One of your favorite bits With like the dialogue And other stuff Yeah
1: It's just like Their most real moment I think Like as a couple mm. I mean, and it's so reminiscent of high school new love type of thing when you're first, which is like, well, that's the last time I've felt new love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people experience it into adulthood, but it's so pure. And like, there's a very sympathetic feeling to it where I feel like everyone can relate from Jack's point of view, I think. Mm-hmm. Rose saying, no, listen, I'm going with you now. And then you get put in Jack's head or in Jack's shoes and you're like, Holy cow! Like this girl is, you know, making the jump with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, and obviously we're connecting with Jack and Rose throughout the whole thing, but I think this is one of the most important moments in as far as connecting with Jack goes, because you really are feeling. Because I I, maybe it's at me as a guy, like Mm -hmm. I can relate to this feeling, like somebody being like, "I'm in love with you. Like, forget everything that I look like, I have, and all this stuff. I want to be with you. That's the only thing that's important that matters to me. That's such a relatable." feeling i
0: think when they sort of hang on leo's face as she's saying this like he's sort of almost like disbelieving this sort of thing he's like wow this is yeah he's like this is really happening like (laughs) okay and then they just start kissing he's like all right we're doing this it is cool yeah
1: yeah we all we've said dicaprio is a really good facial actor Hmm. how he's reacting to this information he's like whoa for real all right word
0: like i think yeah like even even in the subtlety of where he just says this is crazy yeah (laughs) like like he's just sort of he's like genuinely laughing sort of like what
1: yeah that's delivered really well too and Mm -hmm. just how he says that yeah i don't know it's just cool i like this moment a lot
0: yeah and then her too laughing about it she's like i know it doesn't make any sense
1: (laughs) it's just the epitome of that for that new love like taking chances and risks I ah, do it's just a cool moment. I mm-hmm. like
0: it a lot. And, uh, and I kind of like that line, you know, where she says, I know, it doesn't make any sense, that's why I trust it. Yeah. For some reason, like, that line never really made sense to me when I was young, but then just suddenly, like, right now, it just kind of clicked with me that it's like her whole life has been doing things that make sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you're going to do this, you're going to go up and do this and you have to be this way and then this way. And now this thing's happening. And it's like, this is just the complete opposite of everything she's been yeah. taught and everything she's expected to do in life. And it's like, yeah, this literally doesn't make any sense to me right now, like, especially in just in regard to the way my life was supposed to have been going. Uh, but because of that, because, you know, just her relationship with Jack anyway basically shouldn't really have happened but so far it's been working out so she's putting trust now in this idea of going against the grain I guess you know
1: yeah it's literally just like their back, like their social class Mm -hmm. and the fact that you know she is engaged to this other guy which is kind of that middle ground where it's you can still be like okay like this is cool like go along with it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and just a fun thing about that line though even though it I didn't really get it when I was young. I still I wrote a song where I ripped off that line, and it's so funny. Every time I watch that scene, I think of it, and I say, why did I think I could get away with doing that? And, like, why did I do that anyway? Like, my song literally went, <laughs> Nothing makes sense, but that's why I trust it. <laughs> it's
1: like some hip-hop stuff, like... <laughs> borrowing lines from other things.
0: No, it was supposed to be like a rock song.
1: That's awesome. Oh, I've done that too.
0: I just always think just... about it. And I thought I was being so clever too. I was like, "Wow, like a subtle Titanic reference in my song." Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, one time I've like after I watched the <laughs> the first line in which in the wardrobe.
0: Oh god. I, like
1: back when I first started rapping, I wrote a whole song just about the line in <laughs> Witch in the wardrobe, like a rap song. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. There's uh, an interview with James Cameron at the beginning of the illustrated screenplay Uh, that's about this, and I just loved it. So, I've had this bookmarked to read for when we get to this point. Okay. So, the interviewer says, In your scripts, you also have tonal opposites. In Titanic, the power and optimism of Jack and Rose's simple love contrasts with the terrifying universe where a few errors of judgment can lead to chaos and disaster. The first half of the film is a statement of the transforming power of love, and the second half is the universe testing that power. Um, And James Cameron says, Yes, it's fate and free will, predestination and human choice. There's a moment on the deck of the ship where Rose kisses Jack and tells him when the ship docks she's going with him. She's made a decision that will, in a sense, destroy her world and lead her into his It's also at that exact moment that the ship ramps the iceberg then the predestined part of it starts to play out and then the interviewer says it's that old dance between what we want to do and what the universe lets us do and then as we head into the next part James Cameron says it gets even more complicated when the lookouts in the crow's nest are diverted by Jack and Rose kissing the distraction is just a few seconds but critical because they don't see the iceberg in time for the ship to avoid hitting it Rose's moment of greatest free will is the moment that seals her fate as well as everyone else's on the ship.
1: Huh. I didn't even think about it like that for some reason. Right? And it's like the only time that their romance is tied in with the the tragedy, Mm -hmm. but I didn't even really, just based off the crow's nest, looking at them, even just commenting on them, I wasn't really thinking about it in the context of it affected anything.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know, it's kind of weird to Say it like that. Um,
0: I know because I was saying every time I think about that, I'm like, that's sort of conflicting that James Cameron would essentially make his two main protagonists inadvertently responsible for causing the Titanic to hit the iceberg.
1: Huh. <laughs>
0: like a guy, it's a little- I
1: didn't realize there was that much uh, intention behind that one. I thought it was just supposed to connect their romance to the iceberg Mm. in some weird way. Like, they were two of the only people on on the deck who saw it, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah,
0: for sure, yeah. I mean, that too, but... Um, That's
1: all I thought it was supposed to be. I didn't really read into it that much, I guess, but... Yeah. um, And it's interesting that, like, this choice that she's making, which is, like, we always have these choices, ultimately, like, you could say she makes the right choice by going with Jack, he doesn't make it, but that choice still has an impact on her life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not... The fact that we make the choice and how it plays out but it's the fact that we make the choice period yeah we can in our conscience and in our hearts say we made the right choice even though it didn't matter even though it's moot right Mm -hmm. and that's kind of cool it's kind of like that whole hero thing you're a hero by the choices you make whether or not it pans out right the fact that you made that choice helps define you as a person who you are what type of person you are and in rose's situation The fact that she did make that choice was able to impact her anyway, Um, not the way she thought it was going to, but. Mm. um,
0: I know, but I just love the way James Cameron said that the fate and free will and predestination and human choice.
1: That's weird, yeah.
0: Ah, just like reading that sentence, I was like, yo, this is why I love this movie.
1: It's spiritual, you know, if you're a Christian, like, you're like, oh, God gave us free will. But then he, like, oversees things. It's like, well, yeah, you have free will. And that's why it's important to have free will. Whether or not, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of cool to see how free will and fate are still intertwined regardless of it being an exact causation or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool.
0: And I said in my notes, I was saying, though, as much as this movie, you know, inspires me to... Live life to the fullest and make account and all this stuff. Stuff like this is why I'm afraid to schedule things too far in advance sometimes. <laughs> Seriously, though, because it's like you don't like, I mean, think about it, they're just planning. For a few days in the future to, you know, get off the ship with each yeah. other when it docks. And look what happens right away. Like, suddenly those plans are immediately changed, you know? But
1: if she never made those plans, she would, if she was thinking, oh, we could sink at any moment. Yeah. If she was living in fear of that, mm-hmm. which no one was. Um, no. Really. Uh, obviously. If she was living in fear, she wouldn't have made these choices that affected her. Whether or not, even though they didn't affect Jack. Um, obviously he dies, but they affected her and you never know what's going to happen, which is why, you know, you always got to just live your life and not think about that stuff. And it's hard, especially, mm-hmm. you know, stuff nowadays, you're like, oh, I can get coronavirus and whatever. That's what know? I'm
0: saying, though. That's what I was going to say in my notes. I said this time last year, I bought tickets to see Green Day and Fall Out Boy on the Hella Megator. So I bought those tickets a year ago. And I said to myself, I go, I feel really weird buying tickets for a year in advance. I said, who knows what could happen a year from now? And what do you know, the entire tour is canceled due to coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tour, is. I, it was supposed to be next month, August, yeah. and it's canceled. It's crazy. That's just like the perfect example because I was thinking that. I was like... This is a little presumptuous to say Yeah, buy tickets for something that's not gonna Happen until a year from now (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then coronavirus became a thing, it's crazy I
1: know, and that's why it's It is like a weird thing to be On the Titanic and everyone's so Sure they're gonna make it
0: Mm -hmm. Versus
1: right now, everyone's like Am I gonna get it? And if I do, will I die? Like That uncertainty versus the other uncertainty I don't know, it's just I think just at the end of the day you just have to do stuff you just have to make choices (laughs) you you just just have to to do stuff (laughs) you just have to live like you know life's gonna go on and just just that's just how you got to do it otherwise you're not gonna live basically you know if they had known that titanic was gonna go down and would they have made the same choice who knows
0: Mm.
1: yeah like if she was like oh jack's gonna die and cal's gonna live will i would i still leave cal for jack like Mm. because then i'm gonna have nothing like would she have made that choice maybe but maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. That's why it's good not to know the future. And we've seen in and, and That's So Raven, it doesn't matter. Just, stuff still happens.
0: <laughs> I know, her visions always <laughs> never come true the right way she expects it, right?
1: Yet, yet she still tries after four, <laughs> four seasons or
0: I know, episode after episode keeps trying to stop the visions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so in this scene, by the way, also it's supposed to be freezing out. Yeah. Uh, But they're just so in the moment that they don't. They're not phased, yeah. So of course, so the lookouts are a little distracted by Jack and Rose. You know, it's the hey, look at this. Would you? Whenever they're a bit warmer than we are. Well, if that's what it takes for us to get warm, I'd rather not. If it's all the <laughs> same to you, all right? And uh, you know, they're just kind of joking, and then suddenly. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh man! Thank okay. you. When it hits that score, and then it's the ticka 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 the little thing, and it's now it's ringing the bell, and all of this is apparently exact from the inquiry transcripts. Uh. Is there anyone there? Yes. What do you see? Iceberg right ahead! Thank you. Iceberg right ahead! Cut the starboard! They really said thank you. Wow right as that happens the music hits you know uh going into the super intense thing going on as they're running through what i said before is basically the ode to titanic sequence but in panic mode which it really is it's just everything and then you see the engine room and then you see the boiler room we see all the same places but now the vibe is totally different like in oh, the Ode to Titanic, it's very relaxed. You know, we're just getting to appreciate the ship. We're seeing all these areas like, oh, look at Titanic just, you know, sailing along. But now I almost feel like Titanic is in pain. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it's like trying so hard to save the beauty that they already showed us.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Like
0: when they showed the engines, like, it's like, ah, like now I just feel like it's overworking itself so hard to prevent this thing from happening yeah it's a um, character
1: it's a character in the movie
0: it is yeah
1: it yeah. took forever to turn by the way I don't know if that that's like how long it would really have taken like it felt like it took them forever though.
0: yeah no I had read that from the time they spotted the iceberg to the time they collided was under a minute
1: but it if they really can't turn that they're turning radius is really that
0: uh that That short yeah because i mean the ship is huge right yeah that's true they were sailing pretty fast and then there's also uh a bit where you know they say hard to starboard or whatever and then quartermaster hitchens at the wheel he turns it all the way to the left but starboard is right so he turned it the wrong way. No, no, no. That is the way you're supposed to do it. Oh, I see what you're saying. I make sure I watch the historical commentary as well. Yeah. And take some notes for that while we do these scenes. And um, yeah, they pointed that out again. That a lot of people tried to point that out as a flaw, saying like he turns to the left, but they yeah. But starboard is the right, and like, but apparently that's the way the mechanics work. You turn to the left, and it goes. To yeah, that me. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And also the iceberg, like the shape of the iceberg was kind of composited and created based off of uh survivor testimony and some sketches that some survivor uh, huh. survivors did a few years later
1: yeah yeah never does a block of ice feel scarier than the iceberg in the Titanic i mean like you look at it and you're like holy cow like that thing is kind of it's kind of like a villain right? yeah it's like weird how you but at the same time it's just minding its own business just standing there
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: a sympathetic villain
0: that's what I'm saying, too. This is, like, with the whole predestined thing, right? Like, you could yeah. not write this. You really couldn't. Like, they're just sailing and then, bam, just right in front of them. I mean, right in their path. Like, that in itself is just this metaphor or something. Like, I don't even know. But just the fact that that's how it played out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Ugh, just right in your way. But, yeah, it says in the uh, illustrated history, it says, the time between the sighting of the iceberg by the lookouts, and the collision was less than a minute. So, yeah. it's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, less than a minute, I mean, that can play out as feeling pretty long. And
1: they almost missed it. It was, like, they if maybe they had started 10 seconds earlier, maybe they would have, who knows.
0: Oh, yeah, again, that's why, uh, with them being distracted with Jack and Rose. Yeah. But then at the same time, they said, you know, I've heard so many, you know, claims of, like, with the whole binoculars thing with the way the night was even if they had those extra seconds if they would have even seen it that far you know yeah I mean there's a, a whole lot of stuff that goes into it but right so then this whole like I said the whole panic mode sequence I've seen some people say that they don't think it actually would have been that dramatic what like the running around trying to turn the ship in time um <laughs> I'm like I'm all I gotta say is that if I knew if I was Murdoch and I was in charge of yeah trying to make sure the ship doesn't hit the iceberg. I wouldn't exactly be calm.
1: Plus I think that's one thing that I think you're I think James Cameron's allowed to take some liberties with yeah. the drama of that part because well first of all he's making a movie. Second of all, if it was super calm, I don't want to I don't want to watch that. Like, I don't care if it's historically accurate or not. Like I want to watch some intense moments we're already are taking obviously liberties with jack and rose's existence mm. so i mean like why not make it like you know the door is shutting and like them barely getting through the the rollaway doors or whatever i mean that
0: know? that stuff is legit but i just mean like okay but like the yelling and the running the and the, just stuff like I that know, i like it i know me too and
1: if it's not accurate i'm fine with it
0: that sort of energy is what keeps that tension during that scene to this day right like yeah. we, we you feel that nervous energy you feel the desperation to stop this from happening you know
1: i think you need that tension otherwise you're just reading a story mm-hmm. this is still a movie it's still a work of art it's there's still interpretation in art mm-hmm. you need to interpret things how you see it necessary and i think james cameron this is like one of the most prime examples of somebody being really true to facts but taking Liberties in interpretation when they need to, because
0: um, mm-hmm. it's like since all of the dialogue too are from the transcripts, um, yeah, like you have all that stuff being historically accurate, and then just like amping everything up around it, you know. Yeah. The heightened energy is one of the best parts of the scene, and it's what yeah, like Elizabeth said in her email when it suddenly gets more quiet and everything sort of calms down after they've already done all they can do right they've they've done the hard to starboard they've done the full astern, they've done everything there is to do right now to try to avoid this and then all they have to do is wait and hope it turns Murdoch's watching and then he needs to know that like wait a minute did we actually do everything we could do? Is is it hard over? It is, yes, sir, hard over. And then it's like, okay, well then, yeah, I just gotta wait.
1: Because he's like, the last thing I want to do is think, man, I could have done that differently. Or man, especially if you have, in that moment, it's a, it, you have a little, little bit of time. A minute's a long time. Think about if you're in, like, a car, you only have halves of seconds to react.
0: Mm-hmm. Then it gets really quiet as well, but still intense. So it's like the da 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 da-da-da-da-da. Like, like that's the music, yeah. Bit like bubbling under the surface there as he's going, come on, come on, turn, turn, you know, and like you feel it, and then like it when it cuts to these louder shots in between that. Like, it, it, it cuts to the engines again, shoong, 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 like, real quick, and then it cuts to the propeller yeah. really loud under the water again, and then quiet again with Murdoch on the deck. I mean, that sort of, too, is telling you, like, look at everything going on, like, everything the ship is trying to do right now to prevent this moment that we all know is going to happen. Yeah. Man, it's cool. Uh, it's a cool moment. Um, yeah.
1: Definitely intense, even when the silence happens. But. Yeah,
0: and, it, and I always thought this was interesting, too, so that music is building, like it's not totally silent like there's still the and then it's like and then like the it's gonna hit and then it scrapes and then the music gets quiet. Which is interesting, and then it it literally just goes down to just a few little violins. While this is happening, there's something to be said about that decision, too, right? Like, you would think that when it strikes the iceberg, it would be, like, you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they they let the iceberg noise be the soundtrack at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool stuff, man.
0: Yeah, like like the more intense music was leading up to the strike. Yeah. And I think it also just serves as just this idea of the fact that everything was relatively calm. Like other people didn't know what was going on when they hit the iceberg. So it wasn't like it was this big moment.
1: Yeah, they were even like joking about it. I mean, well, like they were kicking ice around and like, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, what's happening? Oh, it's just ice. Like we're fine. Like they still didn't even realize what was going to happen consequences of it
0: i think that's a good way to think of the music choice too it was like yeah no the music shouldn't be big and disastrous at that moment because it wasn't big and disastrous for most of the people on the ship they didn't know
1: yeah that's true because you don't want to have you don't want to manipulate the audience's vantage point you want to more more so mirror the character's Mm. perspective which is what it does i think really well
0: yeah Man, yeah, no, so true though.
1: Yeah.
0: Because yeah, it wasn't some big dramatic moment for a lot of people. Some people they just they just felt a little bump or they just felt a little something or other. So, and so of course, right when it strikes as well, that's right when Jack and Rose's kiss breaks apart. Yeah. Which again is just symbolic there of, like, well, this event is going to tear them apart. It's just, it's just that moment, like, right when it scrapes suddenly they're like, whoa, what's going on? You know? It's like, we just made this decision yeah. and now, oops, things are changing rapidly right now. And, and that's what I said, too. It's like, everything changed in a second.
1: Yeah.
0: In a second. The second that ship scraped that iceberg. Like, what did I write in my notes here? I said... Like, I feel like we just talk about more of the same, but it's so true. Like, I can't, I just can't think about this stuff enough, you know? So I wrote, yeah, I said, everything changes in a second. As soon as they hit the iceberg, everyone's lives change. Yeah. Everyone on board, everyone on board's families, everyone, just Mm -hmm. everything changes from this one split second thing that happens. I don't know. That's just a crazy concept.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, it's any disaster, really. Even survivors, it still affects you. Because you get survivor's remorse mm-hmm. or survivor's guilt, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. But again, with, like, that predestination sort of thing, it's just a crazy concept. It is crazy. Yeah. Right. So, we've made it through the whole, you know, trying to avoid the iceberg sequence. They hit it. And then there's this bit... uh, They make a point to, you know, while the iceberg is striking, um, it's showing us the way it's affecting people in different parts of the ship, right? Fabrizio is woken up in bed because, you know, he's down in the third (laughs) class. Like, he's already feeling the effects of this thing, you know?
1: Forgot about this guy.
0: I know, he's like, what the heck is happening? The guys that are down in the cargo hold still looking for them, they get washed away right away. Yeah, they're, Um, like, the
1: first ones, pretty much.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And then I love... Thomas Andrews, you know, in his room with all of the blueprints and, yeah. you know, he sees the chandelier moving, like that's all he can see. Is, and like, his little
1: wine glass. The little wine glass shaking. Wow. And If you're on a ship, the only thing that's going to do that is if you hit something. Because if it was just like a wave, you, it would not move, it wouldn't be rattling, it would just be more of a, a bigger motion, you know.
0: Yeah. That shot is so powerful too. you know, this man being the designer, you know, the, yeah. the ship builder. Where is it? There's a line in the screenplay here. When it describes that Thomas Andrews bit, it says, he feels the shutter run through the ship and we see it in his face. Too much of his soul is in this great ship for him to not feel its mortal wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just something about reading that sentence, I was like, dang. Oh, this poor man, just everyone that was involved with the creation of the ship, just. Mm.
1: Yeah, you feel bad for that guy. Some people probably blamed him too, you know? And it's not his fault.
0: You're yeah, like, why wasn't the ship stronger? <laughs> like, you know, it was strong. It was literally like, yeah. what happened to the Titanic is worst case scenario. Absolutely. Everything that happened was worst-case scenario. Yeah. (laughs) You know?
1: There's stuff that's out of your hands. You just gotta say, it happened.
0: So after a certain point, yeah, so then Murdoch calls out hard to port, which means, you know, turn it around, like, the other way so that it can avoid uh, the iceberg scraping the entire length of the ship. (laughs) Maneuver your way around it now to, you know, flip the back of the ship the other way. Could you imagine if the iceberg scraped the entire side of the ship? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it would have been... Or if you ever ran into it head-on, even.
0: But, I mean, like, it would have sank so much quicker <laughs> if it yeah. scraped the entire length of the ship.
1: My grandpa had tattoos on his feet. He was, like, he was like a comedian. And uh, on his left foot, it said port, and on his right foot, it said starboard, because he was in the Navy. And <laughs> he uh. said it so he never forgot which side was which.
0: You know, honestly, that's a good way <laughs> to think about it, because up yeah. until today... I always got it confused.
1: Well, if you're in the Navy, you know that stuff, but he thought it would be funny. Yeah. But that was the only tattoo he had (laughs) (laughs) on his feet. It was so weird.
0: After Murdoch calls hard to port, um, they cut to the shot of Jack and Rose, which I love. It's so iconic. They're on the deck, and the wind is sort of like blowing both of their hair a little bit. And the music kinda of drops out a little bit again and it's like or whatever and they just stop to look at the iceberg go by. Yeah. It hits a little bit of the ship and the ice goes on the deck and Jack says, you hmm. know, get back. That's a
1: twenty three year old effect by the
0: way. Yeah, I know.
1: Pretty good. I mean And it
0: still looks great.
1: Yeah, it still looks pretty good.
0: Seriously. Like yeah. I'm obsessed with this shot. I've watched it so many times. Yeah. And it's just something about it. Just the way they are looking at the physical thing that is tearing them apart. Yeah. It's just an interesting...
1: And they don't even have that context. No. They're like, oh, this, whoa, what's going on? You know, they don't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God.
0: Yeah. And there's just something about, like, their acting, too, their facial acting in that scene. Yeah. I just love it. It's just so iconic. They just have this look on their faces.
1: I will say their whole... they're acting as a whole, just in this entire, like, scene or two, I think it's their best between the two, Mm -hmm. especially Leonardo. She gives some really good performances elsewhere, but his, I think, is the best right here for some reason, just from when they're talking to this.
0: Right. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, I just watched the scene again. I love it so much. Yeah, and then the close-up of Murdoch watching the iceberg go by, too. He's sweating already, and this is every crewman's worst nightmare, (laughs) you know, especially being the first officer. Of the Titanic. And you instantly
1: you know. know that you don't have enough lifeboats. You
0: no, know, you just instantly know everything. Like, yeah. like,
1: as you know, like the back of your hand, you're like, we're not, good. this is bad.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> like, speaking of that, there's a quote in the, um, just the James Cameron's Titanic movie companion book. That says, after the ship strikes the iceberg, Cameron explains, the passengers pass through all the stages of death, fear, denial, anger, depression, and acceptance. The full spectrum of human behavior unfolds in two hours and 40 minutes aboard the ship. Mm-hmm. Which is so true. That's how I think about this with the crewmen. Like, like when this happens, like we'll get to that scene in a minute, but... As they're faced with the reality of all this information,
1: yeah, that's a cool scene.
0: They are processing. They are going through all those stages. Yeah, and it's insane.
1: They're thinking rationally. Like, um, what's his name?
0: Andrews, Mr. Andrews.
1: Andrews, yeah. Andrews is thinking rationally. He's like, okay, look, if, if it's this many, if it's, I mean, it's the next scene, but yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, they go through the whole thing.
0: Right. So it cuts from Murdoch looking at the iceberg and then straight down to the boiler room. And this is also a change in the music, so like I said, as they're watching the iceberg go by, where on the deck, you know, you don't really know what's happening yet. You don't really know the, the extent of how bad this hit was, you know? So, up, up on deck the music is just really soft whatever right and then yeah. as soon as they cut down to the boiler room it's done because it's like yeah, it's
1: like some han zimmer stuff down there
0: yeah down there they're already flooding <laughs>
1: those are the first casualties that's a haunting scene like some indiana jones stuff or the the door is closing and it's like mm. uh they're closing it i can't control this you either get out or Yep, and then the guy's like, "Oh, oh no! Like he can't get out. It's like, ah, oh, man! Like this guy's dead."
0: The intensity, right? Yeah, oh that's a
1: crazy. It's like the it's the first intense moment. Like this is like a love story up until that moment when these dudes are dying.
0: When the guy just barely misses his legs. Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah, you're like, okay, this was a love story just before now.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, this was to- a love story. No, yeah, yeah, there was. Um, some testimony. Where is it? Uh, it was Boiler Room 6 that flooded yeah. um, immediately. Frederick Barrett was the lead stoker down there, um, and he was apparently, quote, nearly swept off his feet uh, before he and uh, another man down there jumped through the quickly closing watertight door leading aft to board- Boiler Room 5. And then it said when Barrett climbed to a higher deck, where he could see down into Boiler Room Six, he saw that it was already flooded, like eight feet deep in water.
1: Yeah, this seems crazy to me.
0: Yeah,
1: it just mm-hmm. like the roller coaster, like like I said, one of my favorite moments, then the first morbid moment. Yeah. Really, it's crazy.
0: You know, we see Murdoch turning on those watertight doors, and this was, you know, new technology of the time. Yeah, which you know, this was one of the reasons why uh, the media deemed Titanic quote-unquote practically unsinkable was because all this stuff was so new and it was wow I mean they got watertight doors they got all this stuff wow this ship's practically unsinkable sorta of just ran with how state-of-the-art it was and yeah. everything Yeah, and we'll get into the science behind the the watertight doors in the next uh, scene because that was something that <laughs> I never understood as a kid and I just started to understand yeah. recently Okay. yeah so then things start to calm down If you didn't know the history of Titanic up until this point, you might think, oh, they made it. Because it's like, really, it's like quiet. All the doors, you know, are secured.
1: It's not just like, boom, and then just like, tipping over. (laughs) (laughs) It's a process. Like, this thing is how many tons, thousands of tons, like... (laughs)
0: <laughs> you said it's not just bah, bah. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Like they hit a hole And then it, the whole thing just goes like blah, 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 Yeah. Like, no. <laughs>
0: it's,
1: it's a very like how it took what like an hour or two For it to sink in its entirety or something Two hours
0: and 40 minutes
1: Yeah a couple of hours so It's like um, exponential so like at first It's slow 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 and then the deeper it gets It goes a little faster right mm-hmm. So the beginning especially it's not sinking super fast No filling up first.
0: Yeah, and so you see Murdoch kind of give a little breath because it's like, okay, all the doors are closed. And then the uh, lookouts, of course, with the smell ice, Kenya Bleeding Christ. (laughs) Yeah, because he's like, you know, I can smell ice, you know, when it's near. (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) Those guys are funny.
0: Oh, man. And so then it does that shot of the people walking along the deck, and they're like super close to the iceberg, and like, what the heck is this? And then everyone on the other deck... Uh, where Jack and Rose are, like, leaning over to try to see the iceberg yeah. and, and the damage that it maybe did. And then, of course, Murdoch saying, note the time, enter it in the log, and they make a point to show the clock. But then, of course, Captain Smith comes out, and you can see they, like he had his tie undone. Like, he was getting ready to retire. He was getting ready to go to bed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but he obviously was startled by this, and... You know, what was that, Mr. Murdoch? An iceberg, sir, and the dramatics of the turn. I'm like, okay. And on the historical commentary, you know, they said Smith knew that they were sailing into ice, yet it's still, wait, we hit an iceberg and you knew that you were sailing into ice? I don't know. Because again, worst case scenario, you know, I don't think, like, even though if they knew they were sailing into ice, they still didn't think this was going to happen for some reason, you know? All this dialogue is exact two with
1: oh yeah um,
0: the captain saying close the watertight doors the doors are closed you know all of that and right around here there was another deleted scene the worst deleted scene known to man I can't believe James Cameron even thought to write this or shoot it terrible so at this point they're still coasting by the iceberg like they've avoided it scraping the rest of the ship and they're just sailing by it slowly And I think this is also where they said to stop the engines, right? Um, Anyway, so they're just kind of like sailing by. And they originally had in here, cutting to a scene, of Molly Brown in like the cafe or something. And she has a glass and she asks the waiter, how about a little ice? (laughs) um, And then right behind her is the iceberg sailing by.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. It'd have been better. It'd have been better if she just held her glass out and caught some.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god!
1: James Cameron's a comedian.
0: Oh, so <laughs> it's so bad. Most,
1: that'd be the most jarring moment ever.
0: Seriously, I mean, why would you even think? You know, of course. Then in the thing, it says, you know, it was a little too whimsical for that moment. A you know, little it's, bit. Yeah, it's supposed to be a serious moment, and you're saying, how about a little ice as a giant iceberg goes by behind you?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Jam Cam.
0: I'm call
1: James Cameron from that
0: one. What'd you call him, Jam Cam? Jam Cam. Jam Cam. Yep. (laughs) Jam Cam. That's great. The worst possible moment to cut to a, like, comedy. (laughs) You know, we had some light comedy with the Lookouts. Yeah, like, the
1: Crow's Nest guys and stuff, and
0: Cause it'd be like, what do you, what message are you trying to send? Like, are we supposed to take this seriously or are we supposed to laugh? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, no, we're supposed to take it seriously. Yeah. So basically, now uh, Captain Smith looks over the edge. He's figuring it all out. Looks over the bridge and sees the ice scattered across the deck, and he says, "Find the carpenter. Get him to sound the ship." And that's pretty much the end of the iceberg collision scene. So that will just about do it for Iceberg Right Ahead. Very, very important scene in this movie. Everything changes from here on out. There's so much to say, and we just said all of it, so you don't even know how to wrap up these scenes, right? So of course, Follow on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Send us an email, of course, uh, if you want it to be read. Share your thoughts on any specific scene. I guess that'll just about do it, and we will see you in the next scene.
1: See ya.